What is critical race theory? How does it redefine the language that we've used historically around racial issues? And is this new way of thinking about race more biblical than the old one? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Cross-references podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a pastor and anti-anti-racist, and you'll find out why today. But let me start by saying this. I like to know where things come from. For example, last year, I took the youth group at our church out to the bowling alley, and our, lo- our local bowling alley had recently been renovated, so it was pretty clean. I mean, pretty clean for a bowling alley. <laughs> if I'm that concerned about cleanliness and germs, I'm probably not going to be in a bowling alley in the first place. But it's much cleaner than it used to be. They don't allow smoking anymore, so I like that you can go bowling now and not come out smelling like smoke. Most bowling alleys allow smoking and drinking inside, and frankly, I'm not sure why they think that's a good idea. Like, like, I'd really like to know where that idea came from. You see, in most sports, you cannot mix alcohol with them. It's not even an option. It would be a really bad idea. Uh, many people golf and drink. Now, I don't know if you want to consider golf a sport. My dad used to say that if you can play it with a cigarette in your hand, it's not a sport. But most of the time, we have the good sense to not mix alcohol with sporting events. Okay, take baseball. Throwing rubber balls wrapped with cowhide as fast as you possibly can, that probably wouldn't be a good idea to mix alcohol with it. Or football. 300-pound men running full speed, slamming their bodies into each other. Yeah, you probably shouldn't mix alcohol with that either. But bowling? Like, I want to know, how did that one slip by? (laughs) I mean, you're hurling 15-pound balls of concrete across the room. I want to know someone who saw... Other people throwing balls of concrete across the room, and, and he was like, you know, you know what would make this even better? Let's mix it with beer. I like to know where ideas come from, and I really want to know where that idea came from. So anyway, we went bowling, and uh, as we walked in, and this was back during the whole coronavirus pandemic era, there were guys, they were wearing their masks at the cash register, and I was thinking, come on, guys, did you really think anyone going to a bowling alley in the pandemic is scared of the coronavirus because <laughs> there's there's a lot of things that germaphobes can do or they can find a way to do. Bowling is not one of them. Okay, just to start, you have to put on shoes that 20 other people have already worn this week. And every time you pick up the ball, you stick your fingers in these little holes at least 20 times per game. And I did the math. Someone's probably stuck their fingers in those little holes at least a thousand times in the past week alone. Easily a thousand. And that ball has been around for who knows how long. So trust me, if I'm concerned about germs at the bowling alley, then whether the guy handing out shoes is wearing a little paper mask, that is the least of my worries. When I was growing up, they called exposure to germs. We just called it building our immunity. (laughs) You know, I grew up on a farm. If you ate a little bit of dirt and you didn't die, we said good for you. You're probably immune to something now. And I want you to know something. The bowling balls... At the bowling alley, they get picked up a thousand times each week by all kinds of people, 
So if the coronavirus is going to be anywhere, it's probably in one of those germ-infested bowling ball holes. <laughs> if you stick your fingers far enough down there, you'll probably find some swine flu as well. So I'd like to know where things come from, whether that's swine flu or coronavirus, or this idea that it's a good idea to mix alcohol with bowling. It's ideas that I especially like to track down. I like to trace them back to where they came from. Okay, take for example this idea that's been floating around in academia lately that math is racist. Yeah, you heard me right. Math is now racist. The Oregon Department of Education put out new guidelines a year or two ago, and they were warning of what they define as white supremacy in mathematics. And here are the symptoms of white supremacy in math, okay? When the focus is on getting the right answer. And they put right in quotation marks. That if you focus on getting the right answer in a math problem, they say that's white supremacy. Or take this, this is a real quote. When you say that real world math is valued over math in the real world. I'm like, what does that even mean? And then the people who followed this, they claimed that saying two plus two equals four is racist. If you assert that it's objectively true that two plus two equals four, that is racism according to these new guidelines. Here's a direct quote. The idea of two plus two equaling four is cultural. And because of Western imperialism and colonization, they think it is the only way of knowing. So when I see someone saying something that's that insane, I have to ask, where did this idea come from? Someone didn't just wake up one morning and decide that four is racist. That had to be based on some strange underlying belief. And what does this idea go back to? Well, that idea is critical race theory, which you probably knew if you saw the title of today's episode, critical race theory. This is the dominant way of thinking now in our institutions, in our media, in Hollywood, by most politicians in D.C., many of our corporations, and sadly, it's starting to take root in the church. Critical race theory has been around for a few decades, but you're only just now seeing it talked about. You're going to see the symptoms of this belief system as I start talking about it. You're going to recognize where you've seen it popping up in the past decade. But it's now, just in the past couple years, where there's been this extreme hyper-focus on race in the public sphere, now the mask has been ripped off. It's revealed that critical race theory is the philosophy underneath a lot of the racial turmoil in our society. And I feel burdened to talk about this because I see many people, especially younger people, getting sucked into a progressive form of Christianity through this. That once they accept the critical race theory narrative on race— they slide into a bunch of other liberal narratives as well. And conversation with people who believe this is difficult because they have an entirely different vocabulary on race where it's like we use the same words, but they mean different things. So today, we're going to start with vocabulary. We're going to follow this idea back to where it came from, and this will help us to understand why their definitions are all different from the historic understandings about race. So this lesson and our next one, we will define critical race theory. Then we will define what a belief system is, and that won't take long. The largest part of our study will explain why critical race theory is an unbiblical belief system. This belief system 
is not compatible with the Bible. Now, if you're a Protestant Christian, have you ever had a conversation with, say, a Catholic, and you realize that they have a lot of the same vocabulary words that Protestant Christians use, but they have very different understandings of what those words mean? Like, for example, you can talk about uh, grace with them, but they have a, a different understanding of grace. And if you're a Catholic listening right now, then you might have had the same experience while talking with a Protestant. So anyway, it's similar to that, it's similar to that whenever you talk to someone who's adopted a critical race theory mindset. And as I've already kind of mentioned, one of the difficulties of discussing race with a critical race theorist is that they use a lot of the same words that, that everybody else is using, but they have entirely new definitions for those words. Like the word racism. It's been redefined under critical race theory. So in order to help you understand the critical race theory worldview, let's start by looking at how they have redefined words away from their traditional understandings. And, and we'll start with racism itself. We're going to go through 12 definitions today. So here's one, racism. Now, as you know, the traditional definition of racism is a personal animus or prejudice against another person on the basis of their race. And this is what we learned as a kid in school that, you know, you shouldn't judge another person, especially shouldn't negatively judge them on the basis of the color of their skin. That is not the definition that critical race theory uses. They say that racism is any system that leads to racial disparity or inequity. Now, that's a different understanding. It doesn't have to do with what someone is thinking. It has to deal with systems of so-called oppression. When it says racial disparity or inequity, what it's talking about is when you look at each racial group and you see how they're represented in everything, in proportion to their percentage of the population. So for example, if black people are 13% of the population, according to critical race theory, that means that black people should be 13% of the doctors, 13% of the lawyers, 13% of the politicians, 13% of the teachers, and so on. And if they aren't, it means that all those professions are systemically racist. Or to look at it another way, if black people are 13% of the population, but they're shot in 30 or 40 or 50% of police shootings, that would mean to them that the police departments are systemically racist. So these disparities, they are blamed entirely on the institutions. The minority class itself is given none of the blame and the institutions are deemed racist, even if they don't actually have a single racist policy or even a racist person in them. The disparity itself is enough to condemn it as racist. Number two, critical race theory is part of a philosophy that's called contemporary critical theory. And this is a way of dividing the world between oppressors and their victims along the lines of race, gender, sexual orientation, class, age, and so on. It's a, it's a deconstructionist mindset. And so that means it understands everything as in conflict with something else. Three, Critical race theory, I'm just going to call it CRT to, to save time. CRT has reimagined the understanding of identity. Under CRT, identity is found in your group, especially whether it's the dominant suppressor group or a subordinate oppressed group. 
I would say that as a Christian, our identity should be found in something besides our race. But I will say it's, it's understandable to me why other people might find their identity in their race or their gender or other things. And when I say it's understandable, I don't mean that it's justifiable. Like, I don't think it's healthy to see yourself primarily as a race and to feel like a deeper kinship with people who have the same skin color as you rather than people who have the same ideas as you, okay, such as the gospel. Now, um, and I say that like as a white male, I would say that I feel more of a kinship with a fellow Christian living in Nigeria or Egypt or wherever than I do with a white male neighbor across the street who's not a Christian. That's because I see Christians as my family, not necessarily people who have the same skin color as me. Now, if you're not a Christian, well, then you can get your identity in whatever you want. Like, that's your choice. But this is a podcast looking at CRT from a Christian perspective. So over the past week, for example, uh, I've been quite disappointed to see there's been a lot of videos of um, black pastors in majority black churches celebrating that a black woman was named to the Supreme Court, even though she holds virtually no Christian views. They're defending her. They're praising her. They're condemning the people who oppose her. And only because she's a black person. And, and I'm like, why do you care more about her skin color than you do about her judicial philosophy? Why are we being told to care more about what's on the outside than what's on the inside? Well, I find it very dangerous and anti-Christian to care more about someone's skin color than their personal morals. All right, number four, another word being redefined on CRT, is oppression. The new definition is hegemonic power or the ability of the dominant group to impose its norms and values on society. And this means that any value of the dominant group is viewed as oppression, even if that value is not itself racially motivated. So Christianity is the most popular religion among white people in America. Even though Christianity is open to all races and it's not inherently racial, it can be defined under this definition as a tool of white oppression. Number five, capitalism. This is an economic philosophy of choice by white people, therefore a form of oppression. It's also blamed for the racial disparities that we witness in this country. So under CRT, capitalism is also racism. Now, I know I'm getting into economics here. I'm not even here to defend capitalism today. I, I briefly did that back in episode 16, if you, want, if you know if you're interested in that. So I know that's an economic theory or an economic claim here that I'm that it's making. I'm only including it because I do want you to understand, I think this is the secret, maybe not so secret, long-term goal of the whole current racial movement going on right now. It's to vilify capitalism by rebranding it as systemic racism. Okay, so just to kind of catch up here for a second, maybe by this point you're thinking this. You know, there's all these disparities that we see in society, but wait, we can't really just blame all of them on racism. There can be other reasons for disparities besides just racist attitudes. Some might say, let's look at facts and statistics and data to arrive at our conclusions about why there are disparities in society. Let's not just blame racism for everything. Well, under critical race theory, you cannot do that. Number six today, objective evidence, rational dialogue, reason, these are redefined by CRT as tools of the oppressors. 
By the way, the oppressors are white heterosexual men. These are tools of the oppressors to retain their power. <laughs> this is why if you're approached by someone about the oppression of non-white races in America, like let's say police shootings, um, a lot of times you know, there's this cultural idea that the police are uh, systemically racist, police departments, because a higher proportion of black people are shot by police than other races. You can respond to that by saying, well, hey, let's look at the statistics. If you say, let's look at the st statistics, you'll be told that you're being racist because you're trying to use statistics to silence black voices. This is why even math is considered racist because it's considered to come from the European mindset of seeking rationality and objectivity. And that's defined as a white thing. Trying to arrive at the right answer to a math problem, that is a white supremacist mindset in CRT. More definitions today. Number seven, social justice. That is working to eliminate all forms of social oppression. Eight, reality or truth. That is a narrative that the oppressors tell in order to justify or retain their power and privilege. For the oppressor, their view of reality is skewed and distorted by their participation in structures of power. Their version of reality is false. For the oppressed, on the other hand, their perception of reality is enhanced by their social location. The more oppressed you are, the more capable you are of creating counter-narratives to the false narratives of the oppressors. <laughs> so, and again, we'll talk about this as we go on, but this is why they say you should not listen to facts and reason and statistics. They say that you should listen to whatever a minority tells you is true. Number nine, lived experience. This is a phrase that you might hear a lot by people who believe in CRT. And this is an oppressed, per oppressed person's, per <laughs> this is an oppressed person's experiences of oppression that gives them special access to truths that are unavailable to the dominant groups. For example, speak your truth. This, you know, this phrase that you hear a lot. It's the idea that one person's experiences are their truth. And remember how we defined reality and truth just a minute ago, that oppressors, which are the white people, that they aren't able to see the truth because all they try to do is hold on to power. And so therefore, a minority person's perspective is considered more credible and realistic because they say that only oppressed people can clearly see the truth. Now, as Christians, we should know that truth is not found in a particular race. It's not found along the lines of oppression. Another word that you'll hear a lot for lived experience is knowing. And this is just another word. It means thinking or mindset or someone's relationship to the truth, their ability to see the truth. For example, I quoted a woman earlier who said that two plus two equals four is racist. And let me read again what she said. The idea of two plus two equaling four is cultural and because of Western imperialism or colonization. They think it is the only way of knowing. So the word knowing to them, it's just about how you view things, like truth. Number 10, another phrase you'll hear a lot is privilege. This is usually referred to specifically as white privilege. Privilege is the benefit of being part of the oppressor class. So if you're a white person, anything that you don't have to worry about, that non-white people do worry about, that's considered privilege. 
I'm sure you've heard that one in the culture. That is a CRT word. Okay, so one thing you might wonder about is what about members of minority groups who disagree with CRT, who disagree with this whole framework of how to view race? People who are black and they disagree with this philosophy on race. You might say, should we value their lived experience? Should we lift up those voices? Well, critical race theory says no. Number 11, it says that these people have internalized oppression. This is when a person from an oppressed group challenges the claims of a critical race theorist. For example, uh, one popular one is Candace Owens. She's a black conservative woman, has like a podcast, a TV show, uh, where she talks about cultural issues, and she rejects CRT. She would be said to have internalized oppression. Uh, The Hodge twins, a couple of black conservative guys, disagree with CRT, they would be say to have internalized oppression. Or maybe you remember when uh, President Joe Biden, back when he was running for president, and he was being on, he was asked on a radio show, like, something about like why black people should vote for him. And he said, uh, implying that his opponent at that time, Donald Trump was racist. He said, well, if you can't figure out who to vote for, then you ain't black. And he was saying this to a black host on a show that was directed like the the target audience of the show was black people. Joe Biden said that if you didn't vote for him in that election as a black person, then you ain't black, (laughs) that you aren't really black. Now, why would someone say that? Well, because he would say that you have internalized your oppression, that, um, that even though you might be literally a black person, on the inside, you're acting like a white person because you won't vote for Joe Biden. That was basically his logic right there. So to give an example of how pervasive this whole thought process is, uh, one of my friends, who's a longtime Christian, um, and like, I haven't talked to him for a few years, so I'm not, I can't even say I'm sure where he stands today, but growing up as a kid, he faithfully attended church, and he got upset a couple years ago because Candace Owens was saying something against the Black Lives Matter movement. It was during that time that they were engaging in their protests and rioting and looting across big cities across America back in 2020, as you remember. And this is what he posted on Facebook. He said, Candace Owens should shut up because this is a time to elevate black voices. Candace Owens should shut up because this is a time to elevate black voices. Now, this guy, for all I know, he's never heard of CRT by name. For all I know, he's never heard of internalized oppression by name. But this mindset or this thinking has so infiltrated, it's reached out to him so much Here he is saying that a black woman should shut up so that black people can speak. (laughs) So this is how much this philosophy has infiltrated the church. And I would also point out how self-deluding it is, self-contradictory. So if we take all these definitions, if we put them all together, we're left with a couple of very unbiblical conclusions. I'm going to mention a couple of them here, but mainly I'm going to deal with CRT's conclusions in the next episode. So as you've already seen, I'm sure, today's episode is just a part one. On CRT, since racism is about systems of oppression, not just about a sin of the human heart, then on the CRT understanding, minorities cannot be racist. Only white people can be racist. Non-white people are victims of oppression and therefore incapable of being racist. And if you think I'm exaggerating that that this is what it teaches, I'm not. This I'll show you. This is just the logical conclusion, though, 
of all the redefinitions that I gave you earlier. When racism is no longer about the human heart, and instead it's something that takes place systemically, then this is the logical conclusion. There was a teacher's union last year. They held a symposium on racial justice, and they clearly stated on one of their slides, I'm going to read a quote, only white people can be racist in our society because only white people as a group have that power. Now, you might hear that and say, where in the world was that? <laughs> you know, was that out in California? Was that in, was that in Portland or Seattle? Was it in one of those radical, loony, far-left cities on the coast? No, that was the Oklahoma Education Association. That's the largest teachers union in one of the most conservative states in America. And that's what they're teaching even in Oklahoma. But to be less political here and look more at the spiritual side of things, you can find this same kind of thinking infiltrating the church. There was a recent devotional published last year. It was called A Rhythm of Prayer. And it contained this quote. It said, Dear God, help me to hate white people. That is a direct quote from the book. It's the first line of one of the chapters or the devotional entries. It was an entry written by Dr. Chaniqua Walker-Barnes. She describes herself as a womanist theologian and psychologist. She doesn't say woman. She is a woman, but she considers herself a womanist. I'm not even going to take the time to look up what that is. It's just what's on her bio. And this is how she starts a chapter in this devotional. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. So according to CRT, is what she just said about praying to God to help her to hate white people, is that a racist statement? Is her attitude itself racist? According to CRT, no, she's not racist for asking for God's help to hate white people. She is a victim and therefore can't be racist herself. If white people have mistreated her, as she believes, then it's impossible for her to be racist toward them or to judge and condemn them all collectively on the basis of their skin color. According to CRT, white people are racist by merely ex existing, <laughs> and black people cannot be racist no matter what they say or think. Racism is no longer understood as a sin of the human heart. So, so critical race theory would say that this evil, horrible prayer that she prayed is not even racist. And I'll mention this too. I don't think she needs God's help. I, th I think she's doing a pretty good job of hating white people all on her own. Now, if we just cracked open our Bibles, we would see that we're not supposed to hate people based on their nationality or race or ethnicity or anything. One of the clearest places that we see this is in Galatians 2, where Paul tells Peter that he needs to eat with the Gentiles at church and not just his Jewish brethren. He was calling out Peter's racist attitude toward the Romans. Now, in that culture, the Romans were the oppressors. They had conquered Israel's land. They weren't allowing Israel to rule itself. They had laws that explicitly discriminated against Jews, like there was actual systemic racism going on. And Paul calls out Peter for not eating with them, saying that he's not living in line with the gospel itself. Now, why would he say that? Well, because the gospel says that we're all sinners, that we're all equal at the foot of the cross, and that we all equally need a savior. 
no matter whether we're oppressor or one of the oppressed. But God loved both oppressor and oppressed. He loved us enough to send Jesus. As we sing, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. We all need a pre- we all need salvation for our sins. So once we've been forgiven and brought into the family of God, racial differences should not divide us from fellowship with each other. The church and the gospel brings racial unity. The racial reconciliation that CRT promises is a lie. It's a false unity. It's not a unity at all. Ironically, this new method of removing racism is itself very racist. It creates different standards for different people on the basis of their race. It villainizes white people on the basis of them being white, and it blames them for things that were done centuries ago. Ironically, followers of CRT call themselves anti-racists. That's definition number 12 today. That's the term for themselves. They say it's not good enough to simply be not racist. If you just say that you treat everybody equally, that you don't judge anyone on the basis of skin color, that's not good enough for CRT proponents. They demand that you become an anti-racist. And that means that you give preferential treatment to minorities, that you show disdain for white people and so-called white culture. That's what it means to be an anti-racist. Ibram X. Kendi, by the way, he's one of the greatest con artists alive today. His name's not even actually Ibram X. Kendi. His name is Ibram Henry Rogers. He didn't think that sounded black enough, so he changed his name to Ibram Zolandi Kendi to make himself sound more ethnic. <laughs> that's, that's for real. And he wrote a book that's very popular today. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And the book makes a very interesting claim for someone who is supposedly an anti-racist. It claims, here's a quote, racial discrimination is not inherently racist. Now, why would a supposedly anti-racist person say that racial discrimination is not itself racist? That Shouldn't that be the most obvious and basic example of what racism would be? Well, he says this because he wants to discriminate against white people. And he knows that on the old understanding of racism, that discriminating against white people is itself racist. So he knows he can't literally go out and, and advocate that without being called racist. So what, what does he do? He changes the definition of racism. And this is something else he writes, quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. According to CRT, if he wants to discriminate against white people on the basis of race, his action would not be racist. In fact, it's called anti-racist. So happy opposite day, everybody. And, and I think that's a pretty good place to end today. Um, it, it showcases the complete redefinition of established words under this new ideology. Me personally, I am not an anti-racist because anti-racism is racist. And I am anti-racism. And if I can't be anti-racist because I'm anti-racism, that makes that makes me an anti-anti-racist. Are you confused? I think that's what they want. <laughs> I think that's why they play with language so much and constantly redefine words to fit their agenda. Now, is every problem that a critical race theorist points out necessarily wrong? Actually, I would say no. Um, it does call every disparity racist. And since most things aren't due to racism... It is going to be wrong most of the time. But sometimes there are things that are due to race. 
Sometimes it is helpful to understand the perspective of someone of a different race because their experiences can be different from yours. And this does not automatically mean that they are always right on the basis of their skin color, but they can provide a helpful, helpful perspective and help you to see reality more accurately or to see things in a new way. For example, critical race theory, it will put you, if, if you're a white person, okay, it will put you in the perspective of a minority and it causes you to see things from their point of view. And that does shine a light, I think, on how U.S. history wasn't so great for them. We like to imagine what we'd do if we lived in old times, the Oregon Trail, Little House on the Prairie, the American Revolution. We like to imagine what it was like. But if you put yourself in a minority's shoes back then, it might not be such a fun thing to imagine. You know, we like to say as Americans that we declared our independence in 1776. But if you're a black person in this country, you didn't get your independence until the Emancipation Proclamation, which was nearly 100 years later. Now, I loved, as a kid, playing the Oregon Trail game. Like my sister and I, we sunk so many hours into that game back whenever we were kids. <laughs> Huddled around our screen, we had a Windows 98. And it was, you know, you, you could name your characters. We would dance to the songs as we got to the different landmarks. We used to imagine what it would be like to embark on the Oregon Trail in the 1800s go on a cross-country adventure to see all those landmarks. I mean, we loved the heck out of that game. And yet, if you were a black person, what would you have been doing in the mid-1800s? It's very possible that you were suffering as a slave. So it wouldn't be as much fun of a mental exercise to put yourself back into those times and imagine what it would have been like to live back then. So here's my conclusion on critical race theory that it asks good questions, but it gives bad answers. Critical race theory has some good questions, but bad answers. Because its solutions to solving all these racial disparity problems, its solutions would ruin this society. I mean, they already are ruining everything they touch. They're even infecting the church. A lot of the racial disparity problems, a lot of them aren't even things that are actually problems. Now, some are, but not all of them. Critical race theory is creating a racial divide in modern times that we don't need. Um, not that we ever need one, but things were going better before. I mean, it's, yes, it's terrible what was going on with black people in the mid-1800s, but that doesn't actually hurt black people in 2022. And white people should not be blamed for what a group of evil white people did hundreds of years ago. The Bible says not to blame the children for the sins of their parents. So therefore... We can't put guilt on white people today for something that slave, or, that slave owners did hundreds of years ago that might not have even been their ancestors, just people who had the same skin color as them. And CRT ignores the fact that people of all races had times of suffering in their history. Slavery was not invented by white people. People of all races have both held slaves and been slaves themselves. Every culture and nation in history, it either supported or tolerated the practice of slavery up until the past few hundred years. Well, critical race theory wants to respond to past injustices by oppressing white people today. It responds to injustice with injustice. But as Christians, we know that we shouldn't do evil in the hopes that good may come of it. Two wrongs don't make a right. So CRT points out some real problems. However, the solutions that it offers to fix these problems are unbiblical. And it is a worldview that is spiritually harmful 
to anyone who holds it. So I think we're going to have to stop here for today. All we've really done today is define CRT, and I feel like we have, um, but we still have a ways to go. So I'm going to save the rest for next time. But when you hear this vocabulary being used by critical race theorists, now you know what it means. It's a redefinition of terms that ignores an entire history of their usage. The most egregious one is the redefinition of racism itself. In the past, we understood racism to be a sin of the human heart. That if you have a prejudice, which means to prejudge somebody, especially in a negative way, that that's a bad thing. It's bad to do it on the basis of their race because that's not fair to them. It disenfranchises them. It's a sin in the heart that God addresses throughout the Bible and one that the gospel can shine a light on and fix. And I'm so thankful that we live in a time where the Bible has done just that, that people who follow the word of God have made great strides in racial reconciliation, in fairness in our laws, and especially the mutual love and respect that people of varying races have had for each other in the United States of America. And I have been grieved to watch over the past 10 years or so as critical race theory has grown and not coincidentally, so have racial tensions. And the last place that I ever want to see it is in the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, I still have a lot more to say about critical race theory. Today was just critical race theory defined, but next time will be critical race theory destroyed. So come back for the next episode, which I'm going to have to drop early. I'm going to go ahead and drop it tomorrow. Come back for that episode as we discuss all the ways that CRT is dividing the country, the world, and the church. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that if you go bowling, make sure to wash your hands afterwards.